Welcome to the Free to Choose Media Podcast. Jack Williamson has been publishing science fiction stories and novels since 1928. Over his long career, Williamson has written 52 novels. In this conversation, biographer and editor Richard A. Hopman leads Williamson through a series of questions that trace the publication history of the author's novels and short stories. We hope you enjoy today's episode, and don't forget to subscribe to the Free to Choose Media Podcast. Jack, you published your first story in 1928. That's right. And other than a promotional flyer or pamphlet that Hugo Gernsbach issued to uh, publicize the new magazine, you didn't have a book published until probably the late 40s. 47. 47. Did you think about that during that interim time? Did you wonder why you weren't getting books published? Did you think about trying to get them published? Well, I I was envious of people who had books published, but this pulp magazines were a pretty ephemeral medium and there were practically no science fiction books being published unless you were H.G. Wells or someone with an established reputation already. So it was just a dream like a dream of winning the lottery or whatever. You you thought it would be nice, but you had no, no real confidence it was going to happen. Right. And my first books, of course, were reprinted magazine serials. Right. Um, did you ever consider submitting one of your stories, one of your longer stories, directly to a uh, book publisher instead of a magazine? I don't think so. No? Because you wrote, in those early days, you wrote something like nine or ten novels that have never been reprinted outside yeah. of the, the magazine serials. Yeah. And. But the ones that were worth reprinting have been reprinted. Well, I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sure of that, and that's something. <laughs> well, that's I, I've looked at most of them, and and other people, other people, in fact, have wanted to reprint them, but not bad enough to to do it. And and the old ones have something seriously wrong with them. Well, you, that may be, but of course. The, there's a definition of a lot of a novel as a long piece of fiction with something seriously wrong with it. <laughs> okay, uh, Fred Pohl sure seems to think that the stone from a green star is worth reprinting. Almost every time I see the two of you together, he mentions that. And uh, well, I've I've looked at it, and there's nothing in it. <laughs> Just don't think it'll happen. Huh? Did anybody in those days, uh, any of your contemporaries, submit novels directly for to book publishers? Well, I'm, I'm sh- sure they did. Uh, in fa- fact, I, but but I don't know anything about it really. Yeah. Okay. Of course, E. e. Smith wrote the Skylark of Space. And, finished in about 1919. It was rejected everywhere before Gernsback printed it and whenever he did. And became the forerunner of all space opera. Yeah. Yeah. My first novel was inspired more or less by that. Which was your first novel? I don't remember. I should, well, but well, I don't. My, I was th- thinking The Stone from the Green Star. Okay, my, it probably My first was. really novel-length right. story. Right. How did uh, Fantasy Press pick the stories to publish? The first one they published was The Legion of Space. They were picking the most popular and successful okay. serials. And right. Some fan ran a uh, survey of the readers' comments in the magazines in the 30s and f- found out that my 
Giles of Bebula had been the most popular science fiction ca character of the 30s, that's uh -huh. always sad. Right, and, uh, and I think along with that, The Legion of Space was the most popular serial of the 30s. I've seen a couple different references to, mm -hmm. to that anyway. survey. I didn't know it was a fan that did it, though. I thought it was somebody well, with, uh, well, maybe it was I a fan know. that turned into somebody with more credentials. Maybe so. Which <laughs> happens a lot. Uh, you mentioned once that you didn't think there was much chance of uh, Fantasy Press being successful at publishing these. Uh, well, yes, old. I was a skeptic when the Fantasy Press was started and offered me a contract on the book. I was unwilling to t take a chance on the time that it would take to revise it. So what I said was a carbon copy. and. Of the original, they, yeah, mm -hmm. and they did. I don't. Know, they may have edited that a little. I don't remember what happened, but what was printed was print pretty much the magazine. It was so, so the what was printed in the magazine was what you submitted yes. on the original form. They didn't uh, mm -hmm. make any editorial changes or suggest that you make changes. They didn't suggest it to me. Oh, okay. When after they published the Legion of Space and they followed that up with uh, Darker Than You Think and the Legion of Time, um, did you do any? Well, Do Darker Than You Think was about forty thousand words in the magazine form, and I spent months rewriting it to about ninety thousand words. So it's the okay. story is essentially the same, but it's it's far richer and detail and character and so forth. Uh -huh. but, and you wouldn't have done that probably if, the, well, if you hadn't I been was, successful. I was uh, confident of getting a little money for it. Uh -huh. The royalties on the Legion of Space were larger than I expected. I think I got about, well, I got $600 a penny a word for the magazine rights. And I, I think the book royalties from Fantasy Press were about 700. Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, so you got the same type of royalties then from... Uh, yeah, they, they paid a 10% royalty. Oh, okay. So how did, your first book to get published by uh, a mainstream publisher would have been The Humanoids, I think. Yeah, wasn't that, it? that was picked up by Simon & Schuster. Okay, did you submit that... Uh, at, at that time, Fred Poe was my agent. And oh, okay. He submitted it. Okay. So he was. Uh, that's just when people were starting to get published by the mainstreams. Yes. And, uh, the big publishers like Simon and Schuster found out that the small publishers were making money, so uh -huh. they, they got into the act. When Fantasy Press was started, why they spent eighty dollars for a brochure to send out asking people to to pay, pay in advance, pay advance for, for signed right. copies. That was the only investment the publishers had to make in the beginning. They just used the, the buyer's money to finance um, publishing of the books yeah, and just found enough copies of the books to really at, yeah. just barely cover what they had received advance copies That's or advance payment so. for, which is why a lot of those unbound sheets ended up being rebound later mm -hmm. and a lot of uh, cheaper editions of some of the books. In the case Legion of Time, why there was an error on the press run. They ordered 3,000 copies and they printed 5,000. So there's a couple of thousand 
right. left to be rebound and paddled at a later date. Yeah, that's that Legion of Time story is really am amazing because uh, you, if I I collect books and I look at book dealers' catalogs all the time, and you continually see references or Legion of Times for sale that are described as a grant reprint or a rebind or a later binding, mm. and they're not. They're all the same binding. The only problem was that uh, uh, Legion of Time was the only fantasy press book that was bound completely in its full, the full number of copies were bound. Everything else, there were a lot of unbound sheets, mm. so everybody thinks that. I bought last year, or early this year, I bought a copy of the Legion of Time directly from Donald M. Grant for $15, and that same copy is selling for Seventy-five to one hundred and fifty dollars <laughs> in used book dealers' catalogs. So it's really, it's really amazing if people, if enough people see this, maybe Grant will sell out all his copies, and everybody will think they got rich. But uh, at least I'll have done a public service then. It's uh, <laughs> kind of a funny well, thing. Well, it's nice to see a copy of my book listed somewhere for a hundred bucks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's more than one <laughs> listed. Even, for, even if I don't get the hundred. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and well, that's true of most of those. Books. Uh, when after you uh, began being published in book form, did you attempt to go directly to book publishers before you did magazine serials, or did you try and do? Well, I always wanted to sell magazine serials first. I'm a strong believer is in the writer needs a, an audience, a public, and when when I'm writing a story, I. I like to have in mind the per person or, or public I'm writing for, and as mm -hmm. long as I was working for John Camel, I was interested in in Camel's reactions. There's uh, not too many magazines anymore. I think Analog's probably the only one that does any significant serial publication uh, anymore of novels. I think that's true. Um, but as a result, there have been some recent books that have been pretty valuable in in published form be, uh, because they never they weren't thought of as being saleable books yeah. at first. Uh, Lois Bujold, I think, is the one that comes to yeah. mind. She's got a couple books that were published in analog first, as serials that uh, have become valuable because the first printings were very limited. Um, you've had a number of books published in limited edition since then. Good many. And uh, I think you told me once that you really enjoy seeing that kind of book published more than any other just because of the, the permanence of it. That's true. The Eastern Press has been pr printing b books on sm small editions, leather-bound copies, acid-free paper, mm -hmm. and it's not nice to to have a book that you think might last a hundred years if people take care of it. Uh, there's a fellow, I think, on the West Coast someplace who's trying to do a, a new collection of your stories. Great. Uh, one from each decade. And uh, I hope he gets to put that together because I think that'll be an, an interesting thing. The force be with him. Right. <laughs> um, you tended in your, uh, as you matured as a writer, you spent more time doing novels than uh, short stories, although lately you've yeah. been doing a few more short stories. Do you have uh, a like for novels more than short stories? I mean, do you, do you prefer that length? Well, 
I, I think so. When you have a story going, you're interested in the characters and the story. It's easy to keep going when you're writing short stories. Why? I can't write a good short story unless uh, the idea just happens to hit me, and it doesn't happen very often. Okay. So I'm more comfortable writing long stories. When I try to write a short story, why it may work, it may not. And, mm -hmm. uh, that may that's true, of course, of a novel idea. But if the novel doesn't work, why well, you can get an idea that does and when it does, why well, it can keep you busy for a, a year or two. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're just about finished with number 52. Right. Uh, Which I have hope for. I think, well, it's already sold, so it's just yeah. a question of getting it to the publisher. Yeah. Well, the publishers got, got to print it, and then it all depends on what the readers think, whether they like it, whether, whether they're interested, whether they buy it, right. whether it goes into reprint. Do you? Do you lose interest in a novel once you're done with it and send it to the publisher? Uh, well, I'm, I'm interested in the future of it, but I forget the, the story itself. Uh -huh. Readers often remember the details of a story of mine better than I do. Yeah, so if you were in the business of, or in the market to do a sequel, you'd probably have to go back and mm. reread it. And I'm generally opposed to writing sequels. You are, why? Well, a sequel is very seldom as good as the original. The original should say what you wanted to say in the beginning, and a sequel is secondary, a comment, or mm -hmm. whatever. In sure. the case of the humanoids, people want a sequel, and I wrote, it, wrote one, but it was hard to come, come up with a different ending because the, the ending I, I had on it was the one I wanted. In fact, the, I said the, the story best in the novelette called With Folded Hands. Mm -hmm. Camel w w wanted a sequel, and I wrote that for him, and, yeah. and sort so of contrived an ending that published readers and reviewers ever since. Yeah, that, that's always been fascinating to me that <laughs> nobody can agree on what your ending of that novel really means. Well, the, the novelette had a dark ending, mm -hmm. and the, the, I mean, the, the novelette and the, the book has a dark ending in which the, the, the narrator has been brainwashed by the humanoids to be happy about it. Mm -hmm. There's not too many people around anymore who are writing singleton novels, at least no. in the science fiction field. No, there's, there's more money in trilogies. Right. There's a, a fellow named Patrick O'Leary who wrote a book a year or two ago called Door Number Three, which was a science fiction novel, and he's just come out with a novel called The Gift, which is a fantasy novel, but I wouldn't be at all surprised to see a sequel to the original one because it just seems to be the way things are going. Uh, That's a temptation. If publishing is just like the movie business, if something works, why well, people want to do it again, just right. just right. different enough to sell it. Right. The readers can get comfortable in the in the yeah. characters. I guess makes it. Well, it's easier. hard for me to get involved with a new group of characters. I, I read some detective stories, and if I come across one of them that has engaging 
characters and so forth, well, I'm more apt to buy that than a, I'm a new book by somebody else. I know you've even got me reading a couple Tony Hillerman novels because <laughs> you enjoyed his uh, Indian great. police characters. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he's almost as good as you. Thanks. <laughs> um, as far as uh, the uh, current state of science fiction, do you, do you pay much attention to what is being published today? Not a great deal. It's hard for me to get involved with somebody else's when I'm doing my own. Mm -hmm. and, and there's more stuff written, written than I can keep up with, well, I think more than anybody can keep up that's with. That's true of everybody. I'm, mm -hmm. I have a very difficult time keeping up with what's being written. I'm trying to, uh, right now I'm about to finish Stan Robinson's Antarctica, which is really an interesting book. It's hard to classify it as science fiction because it's so near future that I can't tell what's... Well, he, <laughs> he, he went down there to yeah. stay a while. Right, it's, and it's obvious from his descriptions that he really knows what he's talking about. Mm. He probably didn't do the same thing in his Mars trilogy, but but it was that was written <laughs> just as well. Uh, but he did do his research. Yes, he did. He did. And in fact, in the case of that Mars trilogy, I think that needed the three, the mm. three books. There's, you know, he just that wasn't just keeping the reader's interest up. Um, your collaborations have they generally been? things that you started out to do in collaboration with people, or? Generally, yes. Fred Pohl was my agent for a while, and the, our first collaboration st started when I s sent him manuscripts that of my own that had stalled or gone wrong oh. for somewhere. And he, okay. He's a, a good story doctor, as well as an able editor, and. Mm -hmm. And stylist and a fine writer generally, and mm -hmm. we worked out something that we, we could do together that was not what either one of us could have written on our own. Right. The first one was the Undersea yes. trilogy, mm -hmm. and and that started from a novel that you got stalled on. Yes. Oh, okay. I was interested in exploration of the ocean and co colonization, the seafloor, and so forth, and. Mm -hmm wrote something called The Conquest of the Abyss that got to page 112 and died. Oh, and you remember the page it. you got to, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting. Uh, now, some of those were serialized, too. But, of course, they were serialized in mag magazines that he was editing at the time, yes, too, as I recall. Which so, helped. Yeah. Uh, were they, uh, in, in a case like that, was the serialization completed before the book was actually published? Or does a book get published sometime? Well, I, th about I think the, same the time? serials were all run before the book came out. Uh -huh. My hmm. memory is defective, however. Okay. Uh, you also did a collaboration with Jim Gunn. Mm -hmm. um, that worked the same way. I'd written, a, hmm. um, I was interested in. At that time, in the theories of history, Spangler's decline of the West and Toynbee's long ser series of, of books, and mm -hmm. I was did a novelette called Breakdown that worked very well and started out with 
mm -hmm. write a sequel to that. And okay. I wrote a full-length story, but it obviously had something wrong with it. And I met Jim Gunn in '52 and uh -huh. showed it to him, and it, we wrote, rewrote it together. He did the final draft on okay. the basis of my work, and it's didn't do too well at the time, but yeah. it has since been reprinted pretty successfully. Yeah, it's been reprinted a number of times. Did did you uh, do much in the way of discussing ideas with other writers living here in a rather remote part of the country? I know you probably no. didn't do that much here, but you did travel a lot when no. you were younger. Not really. When I wrote a couple of novels for straight startling stories magazines that were plotted with Mort Weisinger to fit the startling oh, right. formula, but that, that was, those are not my best works, right. let, let's okay. say. And, yeah. But generally I've preferred to write, write my own work as, as well as I could. Yeah, I'm surprised that you never wrote anything with Ed Hamilton. With we yeah. tried once. Oh, did you really? But, but it, it, our efforts brought out the worst <laughs> Both of us oh, well, that's emphasis on wild ideas and minimum emphasis on character and emotion and reality. I see. We, we needed yeah. to uh, look at reality. Mm -hmm. What's the favorite? What's your favorite novel of your own? Doctor Do didn't think. I think the humanoids has had more reprints and translations and uh -huh. so forth, but Doctor didn't think is. One that yeah. is closer to my heart. Yeah, I really enjoyed your last novel, *The Black Sun*. That uh, was fun to write. It was. Uh, it was really interesting, and it, it got it got really exciting as you got into it. Uh, well, thanks. <laughs> it uh, kind of caught your interest and held it, and it mm. it got some excellent reviews uh, in a number of places. Um, your newest novel, *The Silicon Dagger*, is really a different kind of story than you've written in the past, more based on the... It's a little closer to the present and current affairs and so forth. It's, right. I'm, I say it's about the impact of information theory on our world, society and, and so forth, and mm -hmm. was inspired by the Oklahoma City bombing, by the general Militant, anti-government attitudes. Republic of Texas thing. Yeah, yeah. And the setting is county of Kentucky that declares its independence, and the science fiction element comes in when they're able to defend their independence yeah. with a with a new gadget. And mm. I made a sort of a problem for myself by having the war in the middle of the book, and <laughs> and the latter half of the book depends on the, the consequences and so forth. I, I think it's finally worked out pretty well, but it made a new set of problems uh -huh. besides the problem of could we win the war with, with the, the Army and Air Force and so, so forth wipe us out. Mm -hmm. Do you, when, when you're writing a, a novel like that and searching for ideas, do you, do you feel that you use things do you ever get the feeling that maybe you're using something that you used 60 years ago? Or? I, I know it could happen 
with my memory like it is, I can, can forget what I did 60 years ago. So it's, <laughs> I don't know how much repetition there is, but yeah. I, I don't think there's a lot of repetition. I, I try having not to read repeat most too of the much. things. Yeah. That's interesting, though, that uh, you're able to continually come up with new situations and things. Well, I'm, I'm interested in the world and what's happening and, and there are continual pro problems that concern me and I feel that, that the best fiction I write comes from what I'm concerned about at the time. I uh -huh. try to... to Pick a problem, dramatize it, find the conflicts and characters embody the conflicts, and mm -hmm. come up with a unified, emotionally unified, and plot unified right. result. Well, I think you generally do a good job. Thanks. I've, I've, I think if you go back and look at your stories, your, your novels, uh, the main theme of them is generally something that's pretty current scientifically. Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it's a novel you've done yourself or something, one of the ones that you've done with Fred. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of the, uh, um, not the Turtles of Time, what are that, the, the, uh, the Singers. Oh, yeah. The, the Singers of Time, that was. Yeah, that, that came out of Hawking's Brief History of Time. I was re reading the book, Fred Paul was there, we, looked at it together and deci decided to set a story on Hawking's universe. Yeah, so that series on PBS right now is probably an, an unnovelization of your novel, is what it really amounts to. <laughs> well, in a, in a way it, it is. <laughs> yeah, you were just there before. Um, I also like that, the title of that has always fascinated me, that it was originally going to be The Turtles of Time, but because of the got to be too too many turtles. Yeah, the mutant ninja turtles got <laughs> beat you to it there. <laughs> that was pretty funny. To talk about the the ch change in science background. I loved Gold Steady State Universe, and Fred Pohl and I wrote, wrote three three novels set in Steady State Universe, which I really loved because it you could understand it. That is it. Never changed. You could never get out of it. Mm -hmm. It was the same in all directions. It had no center. It had evolved for forever. It was there. It was something eternal and dependable. Mm -hmm. And I dislike mostly the Big Bang. You and do the fact that the universe is in transi transition to something unknown and uh -huh. decaying into the heat death of the universe or whatever. It's just emotionally uncomfortable compared <laughs> to the steady-state universe. I hated to give it up. Yeah. I had to mm. in the face of emotional and scientific, scientific advance. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. The, uh, uh, that wasn't the saga of Cuckoo, was it? No, the saga of Cuckoo came later. Okay. Freeman Dyson came up with the idea that if we're searching the universe for new civilizations, we should look for sources of infrared radiation because the light of a star would be, mm -hmm. energy would be totally utilized by the inhabitants around it until the degraded infrared radiation would be all that would escape. Uh -huh. And so we build a 
uh, sail around the star to, right. to capitalize right. on all the radiation from it. Right. Now that was that was the story where you and Fred introduced that uh, was it the tachyon uh, tachyon driver and and the the transport device where yeah, yeah. A, you would not transport yourself through space, but a duplicate of yourself would yeah. appear. Well, you, you, tra you transported a, a, a digital, digital tra translation of the, the body, and that could be translated again and again. So we had the advantage that if something happened to one character, we'd send in a duplicate. Yeah. And that, that was f fun to deal right. with. Right, and you'd have the same character in two different parts of the universe yeah. doing two different things. Now they're mm. two individual mm. people. That's a device that was used by uh, Jim Kelly, I think, he in his Think Like a Dinosaur. He won a Hugo or a Nebula yeah. or something for that very same transportation method. And now I see Fred is using that same, he's using that again in his latest yeah. uh, two novels. Yeah. So it's kind of an interesting thing to have Think of having a whole bunch of Jack Williamson scattered around the universe <laughs> doing different things. Maybe well, it's well, the well, scary well, thing would be having a whole bunch of Rick Hauptman scattered around well, the universe. Well, 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 plenty. There's probably some some race out there in the universe that could use somebody just like you to. Or you. Oh well, I don't know. You you're <laughs> the one who entertains and explains. So. You're the one who collects and preserves and well, renders as permanent. Ultimately, that comes down to this library. Well, Which is I'm glad where this library is. is here. Oh yeah, this is a, a wonderful place. And I was just noticing, being a book collector, I have, I'm kind of ashamed to admit, I'd never even seen this section right here which deals with antiquarian book collecting. <laughs> and I'm gonna have to come back here next week just to look at that. It's, uh, yeah. uh, I have some books like that of my own, but uh, this is obviously more. Uh, as far as, uh, your short stories are concerned. You wrote one called, um, it was another robot story, but it wasn't a humanoid story. Um, but I can't remember the name of it. It, it came much later after the humanoids. You know, it was really a short story about uh, children being. Oh, yeah. Uh, they, they were being, they were being uh, jamboree. Taken care of, jamboree, that's right. They were being taken care of and nurtured by robots. Yeah. I wrote that after I attended a Milford conference where Harlan Ellison was present and he, he was working on his Dangerous Visions series. And mm -hmm. so what I did was to try to convince, convince the essential st story with folded hands into a short story. Oh, I see, okay. And it yeah. Yeah, he's still was got written in a s sort of, well, Helen Ellison, Helen Ellison mode, and it's one that, that academics like to reprint as my best short story. Yeah, I've, it's kind, I've has seen a kind of a grim ending, but I'm pr sort of proud of it myself. Yeah. yeah. The only story you've ever sold that hasn't been published, I think, is the one that Harlan is sitting on somewhere in his archives yeah. for The Last Dangerous Visions. Well, I wrote a short story with a, with Jim Wolf, who's on the faculty here. 
It was a historical called The Girl Behind the Alamo, and that was sold to a men's magazine. Right. We got the pay, but the magazine went broke, and the manuscript is lost. Yeah, that's, so I it's remember gone, when, gone forever. <laughs> when we were working on your bibliography, I remember that. That's the missing story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At least we have the manuscript that you sold to Harlan in case yeah. he would ever be willing to release that. Have you ever talked to him about releasing that? No, it's a sort of sensitive subject. Yeah, I'm sure he, it is. He paid for it with his own money, and so it's his story, really. Okay, so he can do what he wants with it. Mm. He used up all his advance and dug up the 80 bucks out of his own pocket. Okay. <laughs> He's uh, really an interesting character when it comes to science fiction yeah. writers and people. He's an interesting individual. I'm very fond of him. He makes enemies, but I claim him for a friend. And and well, I think he think he thinks I'm his friend. Yeah, I think everybody feels that way. <laughs> you have a you have a knack at that, which is a wonderful thing to have. Um, the secret of that is that I keep my head down. I try not to fight. Yeah, that's probably good advice for everybody. <laughs> the uh, books that you have in your personal collection at home, you have a, a lot of uh, books that uh, have stories of yours that have been reprinted only one time maybe and, mm. and are in those. Uh, do you ever go back and look at any of those or do anything with those? Re not re really. No. I, I like to live in the present and imagine uh -huh. the future. I, I spend very little time in thinking of the past. Yeah, see that's that's the difference. I kind of, I enjoy your old books and <laughs> magazines. So, oh, not that I I dislike the present. There's just something about uh, the romance of the old novels and things mm. like that that are, are really interesting and to a book collector. I wish I knew more about the, uh, the background of a lot of the stories. I do know that you spent a lot of time on the ranch early. Mm. You yeah, know, that's you where know, I lived. In a cabin. I didn't have money enough to, to live anywhere else, save sell a story, I could go somewhere and sp spend the money and get a little experience and come back to the ranch and write another story. It was uh, kind of a, a vagabond life you led yeah. doing that, coming and going like that, but an yeah. interesting one. It would be difficult to do that today, I think. Well, yes, it would. In those days, you could ride a freight train. You right. don't see anybody on freight trains now. No. <laughs> I wonder why that is. Well, the, that, that was in the early 30s mm -hmm. when times were hard and, right. and people were leaving Oklahoma and going to California. Mm -hmm. uh, here and there, the, the tra trains were cr crowded with, with desperate people. And Did you find that you were able to write better on the ranch than other places? Because I know that you spent time in Santa Fe and in California. Well, well, and no, I've found that it was sort of stimulating to go somewhere else and write another novel. Just to, uh, it, it helped you get different yeah. ideas? I think that it's, it's stimulating now to take a trip. My, my imagination works better when the routine is bro broken and um, mm -hmm. in a different place and doing something else. Right, you, you basically so, plotted, was it Beachhead when you went on a trip to China? Demon Moon Demon was Moon, plotted right. on a trip to China uh -huh. on long airplane flights and long bus rides and 
long nights in hotel rooms, and mm -hmm. and we fl flew over the Himalayas in broad daylight from Karachi to Beijing. Mm. That was exciting to see. I bet it and was. That th that's the mountains in the story. Mm -hmm. I went went down the Yangtze River through the Three Gorges and. That, that's the Yangtze and the Mississippi are the rivers in the story, uh -huh. and so on and so forth. Uh, the uh, novel Beachhead was written at the same time a lot of Mars novels were being written, but yeah. you kind of came up with that idea independently. Yes, uh, the novel was fi finished a year or so before it was printed, and I wish it had got into print immediately ahead of Green Mars and Blue Mars and, uh -huh. and and Ben Bulver's Mars and whatever. Yeah, there were, yeah, there but were. So so it so it happened. You were you were really thrilled with that dust jacket cover, as I recall too. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, it could have been more dramatic. So uh -huh. There's a sort of blurry image of Mars on the cover, and I, I wanted to. Detailed picture with craters and the right. volume Maranani, Maranis and whatever. Which of your more recent novels did you like the best? Your novels of the last ten years. Well, I'm I'm pretty happy with the Black Sun. I uh -huh. think. That's. I think I'd put it first. Okay. There was one of your novels that. Uh, um, I can't remember the name, but but it was described as a uh, an autumnal masterpiece, and that was about twelve or fourteen years ago. So I guess autumn has a way of making one even better as it lengthens <laughs> on. So we'll have to continue this discussion sometime at the cabin. Great. I'd like to see exactly where that typewriter stand was, if you had a stand. <laughs> Want more episodes like this? Don't forget to subscribe and get updates each week for the free-to-choose media podcast.